From the Sophistani Embassy in New York City, this is the Republic of Savistan podcast. The Republic of Savistan, a nation dedicated to disagreement. If only they could agree on that. Argument, rhetoric, debate, and persuasion are the topics of the day for all Savistanis, wherever they might reside. For more on this podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Republic of Sophistan or sophist.nyc. The Republic of Sophistan's embassy in New York has one mission alone, to help you liberate your mind from bad habits of argumentative oratory. Join the Minister of Education as we liberate your mind to the power of sophistic thinking. And now, the Right Honorable Minister of Education for the Republic of Savistan. Greetings from the National Communication Association 2019 Convention in lovely Baltimore, Maryland. You know, folks, I often attend this convention, but this year I was a little trepidatious about it because of some very serious conflict the organization was having online this summer about uh, incendiary comments made by a senior faculty member about how diversity trades off with merit. And I thought the ensuing argument, the ensuing vitriol, the ensuing fight about that was very, very um, disappointing, was very depressing. And it made me think maybe the National Communication Association Convention was kind of not the scene for me. I mean, I think, and I think most people would make the argument that diversity is merit, and merit can be constructed through a number of different things. But... The point of this podcast isn't to rehash that controversy. It's to say that NCA doesn't really mean much of anything. The National Communication Association is a scene. It's a stage. It's a container. And it's a place where people can get together and investigate communication on their own terms. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there isn't any clear pathway to studying communication. Uh, As the education minister for Sophistan, I'm very well aware that there are many, many different ways to teach people how to argue, how to be persuasive, how to talk to various kinds of audiences, and how to get them on your side. Diversity of approach is a way to understand rhetorical. When you broaden it out to communication in general, you're talking about things where meaning isn't necessarily constituted, but where meaning is being brought across to disparate groups. We're talking about things like health communication, different kinds of public health communication, different kinds of medical office communication, uh, and things like that. The field is huge, the conference is huge, and there's so much to cover and so many different ways to approach it that it's weird to think that one would think of the National Communication Association Convention as one entity. That doesn't make any sense. It is a layered situation 
where people find their layer and move around within it. It is very difficult here to move outside of one's area of expertise or outside of what one knows or outside of any of those things. It's very, very, very difficult to do. And you really have to strive to um, find uh, those connections if you want to do that. But most people don't because most people like me and others have a, uh, a thing that they're studying, a thing that they are keeping uh, track of, a thing that they've dedicated their life to. And what they want to do is share studying that with other people and look at the newest um, insights and look at the newest innovations on that work. So that's what I did today. I went and looked at things on teaching. And at 8 o'clock in the morning, I went to a panel where people were studying and talking about different ways to approach communication pedagogy in the basic course, which is public speaking, which at most American universities is taught as a combination course of public speaking, a little bit of group communication, a little bit of interpersonal communication, lots of different things together. And that's taught as a uh, one class. And uh, they were like, how do we teach this positively? So there were lots of really good ideas on this panel about getting your students up and moving, getting them outside, getting them talking to strangers. It was very cool. There's one guy even proposed that you do lip sync battles in class, which I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think I'll be doing that anytime soon as a teacher, but what a cool idea. Very innovative. And what's most important is it seems to work for him and his students. Uh, the other presenters, one of them talked about um, taking an inventory about what strengths you have as a student and working from that. Another person talked about um, what your local and global identity is after watching a TED Talk, taking a self-inventory. <clears throat> Another presenter talked about the importance of uh, giving positive messages to each other, talking to strangers, moving around campus, um, trying to uh, make things a little bit more positive in there. And I, I supported this entire panel because I think one of the most uh, missed things about teaching public speaking and teaching rhetoric in general is the idea that it should be done in low stakes. Yes, teaching speech and persuasion and argumentation is vital and important. And in many ways, it is the practice of democracy. But that doesn't mean it has to be gloom and doom high stakes, that if you're not going to do it well, then everything's going to fail, everything's going to fall apart. Most governmental organizations and so social and societal organizations have enough backstop to prevent that kind of collapse if you're not very good at doing it. The worst thing that happens is people don't believe you. And that can feel pretty bad, but it's not world-ending. I think low-stakes assignments and low-stakes arguments and low-stakes speeches are essential to get people comfortable with the idea of sharing their thoughts in front of people they don't know. It also gets them comfortable in adaptation, which is the single most important thing that's probably not taught in public speaking around the United States. And in Sophistan, it is a central part of everyone's education. What do I mean by adaptation? That means the idea that when you hear an argument and you write a speech that suits you, it is a failure. What you have to do is write a presentation, write a speech, write something that appeals to your audience. The audience is the thing. They are the measure by which your speech will be judged. And they're the measure of excellence, the only measure of excellence, that you have to meet when you are doing public speech. Everybody lives and dies by the audience. That's what we say in Sophistan. And what we mean by that is, if you are unintelligible to them, 
he might as well not have spoken at all. I think that low stakes activities make it very comfortable for people to try new things out and then that gets them comfortable with the idea that one belief can be expressed in several different ways. That's an essential insight to the novice public speaker and one that I think uh, is overlooked quite a bit in pedagogy. So I appreciated that panel for that. The next panel I went to today that I thought was very heavy was a panel about surviving graduate school while black. The African-American experience or the black experience in American graduate education is a very lonely one. And these panelists really communicated that well. But one of the things that really, really blew my mind was thinking about what is the racial attitude and the racial composition of public speaking in the United States. And this panelist really made a very compelling argument about that. That really, really blew my mind. What this panelist on the second panel offered is that most public speaking pedagogy in the United States is a public speaking pedagogy of white male speech. This really blew my mind because I've always thought of public speaking as the most adaptable, most fungible, most fluid, most, uh, uh, it's just fundamentally something you can make it taste like anything. But in the end, I was forced to agree with his argument as I heard it developed. When we talk about good speech, we're talking about good white speech. We're talking about a privileged space where white men dominate. The styles, the way of speaking, the pronunciation, the tone, the timber, even the way that organization is done are all things that privilege white culture. I was floored by this. I immediately started thinking of things I could do to teach that would problematize this space and make it more open for people of different kinds. In Safistan, we don't really think about this kind of thing. This racial history is uniquely American and one that really does need to be addressed. I feel that one of the ways one could address this serious problem would be to only show examples of non-white speakers and talk about how their style might be considered good by different kinds of audiences. It is a sophistic truth and a sophistic belief to say that there is no absolute right and wrong, except for the fact that when you say adaptation is not necessary, this is true, this is the right way to do it, this is the right way to approach it. I feel like these approaches are anti-sophistic, and they're definitely not what the government of Safistan supports, and it's definitely not the kind of education that we would be forwarding in Safistan. So this really stayed with me the whole day as I thought through it. What practices could I do to make sure to decolonize my public speaking classroom as a site of white supremacy? Well, I'm still working on that one as I teach. And I do think that having a bunch of examples of non-white speakers helps, but how do we know they're not trying to adapt to a culture where white speech is accurate, official, serious speech, and other kinds of speech are that are from non-whites or just forms of entertainment or speaking incorrectly or opportunities to correct grammar or any kinds of other uh, post-colonial imperial operations. Uh, that panel is great and it makes me really think about advising students to go to graduate education and rhetoric and what the realities of the situation are that they should prepare for. When non-white students or women, uh, people who are not white men, try to uh, go to graduate school, they're going to face some resistance, ideological resistance. 
They're going to face economic hardships and realities they're not ready for. They're going to face a lot of different kinds of stuff, and how can I advise them the proper way to approach graduate education? And that's what I was thinking about. I think today was great. Those are the two panels I went to. I had another panel that I spoke on where I talked about the rhetorical educational uh, uh, approach of Miles Horton at the Highlander School in Tennessee. And uh, the other two panelists talked about Aristotelian uh, rhetorical theory, which is very complicated, and uh, some stuff about St. Augustine. It hardly ever gets talked about, so I thought that was great. That panel was really interesting and good, and we had a good discussion afterwards. And uh, the evening times here at the National Communication Association really give me faith and confidence that I'm in the right place. The reason why is because you can have a conversation with anyone about serious ideas about teaching, about what rhetoric is, how to define rhetoric, how to approach it, make sense of it. Um, what are we doing with our students? How do we know we're preparing them for the world that they're going to inhabit? And are we preparing them, most importantly, with the tools to transform the world they inhabit, to make it more habitable, more approachable, a better place for people to exist together in? I think that's really a great question to think about is, when we're teaching, are we teaching in a conservative fashion? Are we teaching the theories that are already out there? Are we teaching the theories that are already accepted? Or are we teaching people how to theorize, how to approach the world and say, no, these must be the rules that we follow. This has to be the approach. And trying something different, trying something new that will hopefully adjust and bend that world back to them. Because I'm afraid that a lot of kinds of unreflective teaching of rhetoric turn rhetoric into a procrustean bed a place where you have to lop off limbs or remove parts of yourselves to fit that definition. And I don't want rhetorical theory to be that way. I don't want the study of rhetoric to be that way. I want it to be as open as possible. And if rhetoric is the study of adaptation of beliefs for various audiences, then rhetoric itself should be adaptable. It should be bendable. It should be something that can move easily between different kinds of people, different identities, different histories, different approaches. It should be the thing that bends because bending and altering itself is the nature of rhetoric. You will recognize rhetoric by how much it can distort itself. Although that sounds ironic and strange and not much of a definition, it's really the best one I can offer. Rhetoric's trace is no trace that it's been there. Rhetoric's trace is absolute conformity to the situation, its contingencies and accidents, and absolute conferral of legitimacy on the life experiences that the audience has brought with them that subsidizes and forms their opinion on the issue that one must address when one is trying to change minds. I think that's a beautiful understanding of rhetoric, and that's what I was thinking about today, but most importantly, I think the National Communication Association Conference is really a positive place because it has no identity. There is one thing we're all doing here, though, and it's the only thing that matters. We're all studying inquiry, no matter what your specialty. That is, we're studying the formation and the refinement of questions. What makes a question good? What makes a question worth asking? This is what we study. And how do we make our questions better? The sad irony about answering questions about communication and rhetoric and persuasion is that once you find an answer, the conversation stops. Why talk about it? We know. We know. There's no two words that chill me quicker than hearing someone say, I know. 
because that's the end of the fun. That's the end of what being alive and asking and investigating and querying is all about. Inquiry is about being alive and pursuing the objects that interest us and saying, why? Why do you exist? What are you about? How can I understand you? Is that understanding the best one? And hopefully, hopefully, it never is. Hopefully, we still continue to ask questions. Hopefully, inquiry is the only definition of the National Communication Association that we would ever need. And hopefully, we'll keep the conversation going in the nooks and crannies of what appear to be an organization that's titanic, tectonic, massive, slow to change, slow to turn, but it's really only a stage. It's really only a platform. It's a place to meet, and then once you get to that place, it's up to you to find the people who you can talk to to refine and improve your questions and make your investigation a persuasion, rhetoric, and argument the best that it can be. We'll have more from the National Communication Association National Convention tomorrow. Thanks for listening. This has been the Republic of Sunnistan Podcast. If you like it, please consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, or Anchor.fm slash Republic of Sovastan. Republic of Sovastan is a production of International Debate Research Associates, LLC, in New York. All content is solely and totally the responsibility of International Debate Research Associates. Thank you for listening. See you next week.